We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,293 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa from Cutting Through the Matrix. It is once a fortnight. Melissa, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. As a matter of fact, I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're going to be having today. But before we get to all of that, because I think you're going to really enjoy this, uh, we haven't really discussed too much of it other than what it's going to be about. I started on this, a little bit of this last week with Bruce, and I told the listeners then, I said, kind of just table everything that I was talking about, because I was talk we were talking about the origins of, of climate change, as in like the genesis of the actual idea and how everything's been taking shape over the course of several decades. And I said, you need to table the fact that you've got a guy like Maurice Strong that was involved in the beginning of it. And I was going to talk about him and other people with you this evening. Uh, but before we get into all of that, how have you been and what have you been working on over at your website? Well, I have been busy, and um, there are a couple of projects that I've started. I'm working on something. I don't know how many parts it will be, but I want to do something about culture creation. So I'm working on a series of videos that will have clips of Alan talking about culture creation, and I'll probably be speaking about that. And I'm going to do it on the backdrop of the Sin Cities documentary that covered Shanghai, Paris, and Berlin, and their role in pushing the envelope culturally. And another thing that I'm working on is another series just coming off of one of Alan's blurbs, but it was, it was a thought-provoking piece that he did, and I thought it would break down into several small segments really well. So those are the main things. And then the real history, I, I did a, a fun one last week called Left Brain, Right Brain, Peter Joins a Cult. Interesting. And this is about, yeah. Interesting title. Is, All right. Yeah. And, and actually, I had something else scheduled for tomorrow, but I've done a part two with Peter because the person that I was scheduled to talk with had some illness in the family. So it's interesting. He's, he's really interested in the way the brain's hemispheres work. And he's always, he describes himself as liking to have big adventures. And so the current adventure that he is on right now is working, doing paid work at a Vipassana meditation center. 
So he does the meditation classes and then he does maintenance and, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. A fun, fun couple of talks. Yeah. I would say so. Left brain, right brain. Huh. They, mm. they always say that the left brain doesn't know what the right brain is doing most of the time. That's, vice versa. that's right. That's right. They, they, so. There's a, a, a grid down the middle of the hemispheres that likes to keep them both in the dark. That is true. Yes. And most of them are in Washington, D.C., I think, uh, involved <laughs> in politics. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, anyway, so before we get started, you know, we took a big risk when we started all of this, and we're not backed by fake corporate dollars that push fake agendas that make everyone hate each other. So if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, we do offer additional features with our now active subscription service. Benefits include access to our instant messaging service for direct communication to us, along with early access to upcoming and sometimes unpublished podcasts, as well as exclusive access to our behind-the-scenes uncensored prep sessions where we talk about things that sometimes don't make it to the final product, which you are hearing now. If you want to take part in this fight with us, if you want to support a team that's willing to do the real research and not give you fake nonsense for talking points, if you want to say screw you to the mainstream media like CNN, Fox News, BBC, Sky News, and MSNBC, then the link is in the program description down below where you can come on board with us and you can take advantage of these benefits that we are offering to you. And by doing so, you'll also support our work and our research that we need to do in order to continue that work. And together, we can take the fight to the doorsteps of these frauds that are on the television and in the newspapers and the talking heads that are on the international stage, because I really don't like Klaus Schwab. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. Together we can take action as subscriptions start at just $5 per month. So on to the events of what we're going to discuss today. I had started a little, I guess, a, uh, a rant, if you will, uh, with Bruce last week, because you know how Bruce can get sometimes when he gets on one of his rants about something that he doesn't like and it involves totalitarian rule and things like that. You know, he's a, he's a guy from the Midwest, so he gets very upset about that kind of stuff. And rightfully <laughs> so, I can understand that. Now, one part of this conversation that was left out last week is because... I said that I wanted to discuss this with you, was a guy named Maurice Strong and how influential and important he was to this uh, this modern day movement that we're seeing that has become a, um, well, really, it's, um, it's a climate cult, really. But it's fascinating how he was so influential in getting that ball rolling here in the West and how he got it started. So Maurice Strong, just from what I was able to pull from him, was, he was actually Canadian. For the longest time, I thought he was from South America. Maybe I got that confused for or from the fact that he was um, speaking and bringing up all this at the 1992 Rio uh, Earth Summit where the, all of this was rolled out. But he was a Canadian oil and mineral businessman and a diplomat who served as Secretary General of the United Nations. And it, what's interesting is he was able to hold this position while lobbying for all these different things, all these different agendas that were being pushed on us in the early 1990s. And then he all of a sudden gets caught taking bribe money. Money that was, I mean, by today's figures, is is actually small in comparison to some of these other, I guess, magnets that we've got in in some of these uh, these areas. Mainly Bill Gates. I'm I'm going to I'm going to try and make the connection today between what I believe. Again, it's just it's just my opinion based on the research that I've been able to pull. But I believe that Bill Gates has taken over for Maurice Strong in the uh, the agendas that are being played out. Uh, and I will explain that shortly. Do you have anything you'd like to say on Murray Strong? You, you've done a lot of research into this guy in the past, I'm sure. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to uh, to speak on him? Uh, to speak? To well, speak just to a about? couple of quick things. That that bribe, he was actually never accused of wrongdoing. There, that was that's the uh, yeah, oil for food program, and it was scandalous. And he did step down. 
And then he ended up moving to China for a while and living in China. But he said that the move and the stepping down didn't have anything to do with any wrongdoing. So there was that. The other thing, I don't, I haven't dug that much into him. Alan certainly did. But I do know that he was, he was picked up quite young and mentored by Rockefeller and Standard Oil. Mm-hmm. And he, he, his whole career in the oil industry really came from Rockefeller. And there's another interesting little biographical piece there is that his cousin, I think her name was Anna Strong, she was a journalist and a really a lover of communism. And she lived in China for years and years and is actually buried in a, I, I don't, I can't recall where in China, but she's buried at a place for kind of important people and officials, yeah. That, yeah. that thing. So it is interesting how China factors into the global plans and has for, a lo- you know, well over a hundred years because you find Bertrand Russell was there, you know, Trudeau loved it. It's just a, the, the, the UN's model state and some of the big players in the agenda right now have huge ties to China. Mm, indeed, they do. Interesting to note, I didn't know about his cousin. You said his cousin is buried there, the Anna, Anna Strong. She's mm-hmm. buried there in that separate. Yes. I didn't know that. However, I do know that his wife and, his, and him as well, they're buried next to Mao himself in China. Well, now that I did not know. Yes. That's, well, actually, uh, I caught that. I, caught oh, the, I thought I actually thought that his wife was still alive. Did she pass away recently? Well, if I understand it correctly from uh, from what we actually are about to play from uh, this, okay. this clip of Alan, he actually pointed that out uh, in there. No, his, that that was the aunt. Uh, Alan was would that refer the aunt? To, okay. Okay. Alan would refer to Anna as the aunt. Um, ah, but got it. Okay. Sub- subsequently, in you know, in the last couple of years, I've looked into it a little bit more closely and the relationship was actually cousin i think so Ah, anna was not his aunt but his cousin Ah, she's definitely buried in china uh okay and i also i again i also thought his wife was buried there as well uh but you're Mm -hmm. saying that she's possibly still alive but uh this guy i remember hearing about this guy i want to say about 15 years ago of course, uh, he was still around about 15 years ago, but I remember hearing about him. I remember seeing some of the things that he used to talk about this this Earth Summit in Rio in 1992. One of the most famous clips, and I guess I, I don't have it right off the top of my head. I'm going to have to kind of paraphrase it, but he said, isn't the only hope for the world that the industrialized nations collapse? And isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, but... Um, who on earth, literally, who on earth gave you the right to make that decision for 7 billion people? I would argue no one, you know, other than the people that are financially bankrolling him uh, and the people that influence him. But it seems as though this has been the direction that we've kind of been nudged in. And it's been a slow push to that ever since. I played a clip of Nancy Pelosi last week speaking on the House floor, or then House member Nancy Pelosi. This is long before her speaker days. But I'm going to play it again just for reference uh, before we get to this other clip. This is then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi speaking right after the Earth Summit in 1992 on the House floor. 
National Leadership Act, as this is known, presents us with an opportunity to follow up on the important work of the Earth Summit to develop its blueprint, Agenda 21, for envir global environmental action. HCON Res 353 outlines a comprehensive national strategy for sustainable development in accordance with the principles of Agenda 21 to be coordinated under the leadership of a specific office and at the direction of a high-level government official. The resolution also urges the United States to identify and initiate further agreements to protect the global environment and to support the creation of a high-level United Nations Sustainable Development Commission headed by an Undersecretary General. Third and lastly, the President is urged to report to Congress on the progress made on the uh, with this action. HCON yes. Res 353 is supported by the administration. I have been in contact with the appropriate offices of the State Department and have incorporated their suggestions into the resolution. The 71 co-sponsors uh, of this measure include one half the members of the Foreign Affairs Committee and all of the uh, House delegates to the Earth Summit. It is also supported by the major United States non-governmental organizations uh, concerned with the environmental issues. The Earth Summit pre uh, presented world leaders with an opportunity that should not be lost. We must now embark on a new course that will sustain our planet and its resources for the benefit of future generations. This resolution calls on the United States to assert its leadership to achieve this goal. I urge my colleagues to support this resolution. Thanks again to the members of the Foreign Affairs Committee for their Yes, thank you, Nancy. Again, um, now again, that was right after the um, the Earth Summit, as she duly stated there. Uh, so, do you think that we were already? It's it's as though she already had the uh, the script that she was reading off of. It's as though she already had the talking point ready to go, and we already had the legislation drafted ready to go. So, mm -hmm. is it is it possible that we could have already had this planned for us? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So rolling that into what I discussed last week, again, I hearken back to the year 1984, not the book by George Orwell, which is a great book, by the way. But I hearken back to the year 1984, when you had a book that was published by Anatoly Galitsyn called New Lies for Old. And in that book, in 1984, he pointed out how in 1950, the early 1950s, it, was, it ended up being a plan around the, uh, the late 1950s. But he says in that book, I'm quoting from the book on page 95, he says, due regard should be paid to the fact that the KGB chairman in his May 1959 report to the KGB staff called for the preparation of disinformation operations designed to confuse and disorient Western scientific programs to bring about changes in Western priorities and to involve the West in costly, wasteful and ineffective lines of research. That sounds almost like climate change, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it certainly does. It certainly does. Then, yeah. yeah, then you fast forward to 1982 and you look at an essay that was published by a Soviet scientist named Ivan Frolov. And he says, as a result of the formation of a layer of carbon dioxide around the Earth, which encloses it like a glass cover, a threat of unfavorable changes in climate has arisen and may transform our blue planet into an enormous greenhouse with possible catastrophic effects. Now, in 1982, we took that and it took him about 10 years, right? Fast forward to 1992 with Maurice Strong. It took him about 10 years to devise this scheme that we're now dealing with. We're dealing with the end game of that. Now, there's more books that I'm going to reference throughout this podcast and some books that you were, you've mentioned to me before. And you actually started this, by the way. I, I just like to add, you're the, you're the nexus of all this, of how you started all this research <laughs> by mentioning this one book that I'm going to mention tonight, which Alan suggested to you. So that's where all this is coming from. But anyhow, that's Nancy Pelosi. And that is 
how they were able to influence our decisions. And I was actually reading in a different book last night about uh, change agents or learned professionals is another word that they use to describe those people. And I'll explain those very shortly. But before I do that, now I want to get to the actual clip of Alan talking about Maurice Strong, okay? Because he plays he plays a, a such a such a key role in all of this. He was he was the initiator of it in getting everything pushed here in the West because we wouldn't have accepted it otherwise. It had to be from him. Now I do apologize, but this is this is about fourteen minutes long, but we're going to play it in its entirety because this gentleman says it better than I ever could. Like Dorothy a Lion, Tin Man, and Scarecrow, and the Wizard of Oz. We've all been dancing down the real brick road of settled science, as they call it, the pretense of it, you see, in search of answers from the Emerald City, only to find that we've been, what we suspected all along, the wizard has been telling us fibs. But who exactly is a wizard? And where did this seeming madness all begin? So they go into some of it, and they mention Maurice Strong. He's one big player. Since the whole climate change business, and it is a business, started with Mr. Strong, but it started with the Club of Rome too, who were given the task, this big think tank, given the task of finding a way that they could literally rule the people from their own excuses, basically, to, to, to do so. So they came up with the idea of climate change and how humanity was destroying the planet. That's what they claimed. So man was the enemy. So you'd need naturally experts to rule you, you see, because you couldn't rule yourselves. It said that would fit the bill, or the words of the, 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 those in the Club of Rome. Anyway, it says, Maurice Strong, a self-confessed socialist. Now, you understand what he means by this. This is a multi-millionaire socialist, because he was created and brought up the ladder to be a multi-millionaire socialist by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Daesh Council and Foreign Relations. It says, was the man who put the United Nations into environmental business being the shadowy figure behind the UN Secretaries General uh, from Uthant to Kofi Annan. His reign of influence in world affairs lasted from 1962 to 2005. Strong has been variously called the international man of mystery, the new guy in your future, and a very dangerous ideologue. Made his fortune in the oil and energy business running companies such as Petro Canada Power Corporation. You, you surprised how <laughs> the Desmarais family, uh, that is Power Corporation, they call it. They churn out leaders, and they've churned out goddess so many prime ministers for Canada, for instance, and for corporations as well, CEOs. But anyway, it says Canada Power, Power Corporation, uh, Caltex, Africa, Hydro Canada, the Colorado Lands and, and Cattle Company, Ajax Petroleum, Canadian Industrial Oil and Gas, to name just a few. But he was really a frontman for the Rockefellers, complete. They created him totally from the beginning. They picked him up as a kid and made him what he is. He's a frontman. So his private interests always seem to be in conflict with his personal persona and his work on the world stage. Strong's extensive range of contracts within the power brokers of the world was exceptional. One admirer uh, christened him uh, the Michelangelo of networking. He described himself as a socialist in ideology and a capitalist in methodology. But see, the, the idea, those who enrich themselves at the, at the CFR and Royal Institute for International Affairs at the top always fill their pockets. They believe that they're the, the world's natural rulers. So we came, we saw, he died. <laughs> and when they're picked up, they're told that too, to give them a little bit more incentive to keep climbing the ladder in these private clubs. 
and socialism is the way of controlling the population through laws with, with panels of experts, which is Sovietism, the, the meaning of rule by councils, folks, for those who don't know that. In 1972, he organized the Youth Ant uh, First Air Summit, the Stockholm Conference on the Human Environment, and it led to the formation of the UN Environment Program with Maurice Strong, as it, as it said. Later, as the UNEP boss, he organized the first international expert group meetings on climate change. It led to exotic UN-sponsored organizations such as the Earth Council and Earth Charter. And that was also drafted up by the Rockefellers and strong fronted for it. The World Resources Institute, the World Wildlife Fund, which is, again, the head at that time was um, Prince Philip, and later the Commission for World Governance and the United Nations University for Peace. Remember what the, what the old communist adage was too, this real socialism idea, the test bed for all. And believe me, that the heads of, of the Soviet system filled their pockets too, by the way, if you think it's a different separate organization. And they, they said that for them, peace was the end of all opposition. That's how they defined peace. So Strong was a driving force behind the idea for world governance by the United Nations. And look at all organizations now attached to universities for world governance. Hmm. They dreamt up a world tax on monetary transactions of 0.5%, which would have given the UN an annual income of $1.5 trillion. That's on top of all the other money they get. But equal then to the income of the USA. The stumbling block was the Security Council and their power of veto. So he devised a plan to get rid of Secretary Security Council, but failed to get it implemented. Then along came the idea that global warming might just be the device, you know, to get his world governance proposal up and running. And it wasn't his, folks, as I say, it's an organization, very old organization. It runs your central banks. It runs your World Bank, your IMF, and the Bank for International Settlements. They didn't believe, these guys never believed that, that uh, the people were fit for democracy and could be ever trusted in democracy. But they would use democracy uh, to, uh, as an excuse to invade other countries that didn't have a semblance of it. Hmm? Strong was appointed Secretary General of the Air Summit and in 1992, imagine they pretty well uh, create the organization, then appoint themselves as head. Eh? In 1992, addressed Air Summit in Rio. And they told the thousands of climate change delegates, it is clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, consumption of large amounts of frozen and convenience foods, use of fossil fuels, appliances, home and workplace, air conditioning and suburban housing are not sustainable. And so basically, they said they'd have to end. And this is, this is me, Lebanon here too, from other articles about them. They, they, they said that they would, they would have to basically end a lot of consumerism, be post-consumer. And you're going to austerity. That's the idea behind it. And also, they had big meetings where Strong and others, but he did say that, that they'd have to um, eliminate, destroy Western manufacturing and you think they've got a say in anything do you really think that 
because the organisations, all these organisations I've mentioned, they're not, they're not, you don't get any say in it. They don't ask for your opinion on anything. They don't care about your opinion on anything. From the United Nations, multifaceted organisation, all the way down to anything else, you, you never ask your opinion on anything. Never mind your vote on it. You don't get that either. You don't you vote these guys in. And it says, there goes the Sunday roast at house to live in. I haven't seen a Sunday roast since for years and years. The occasional hamburger and generally life on earth as we know it. But what Strong didn't tell the delegates was that he was involved in the purchase of the Colorado Land and Cattle Company, which he bought from uh, Adrian Khashoggi. Remember Khashoggi? Huh? An arms dealer who had strong connections with the Bin Laden family. Interesting how they all come together, the heroes and the zeros, eh? This is a 200,000-acre uh, property called the Baca. Had two hidden secrets. Now, one was it, it sat above uh, vast underground water systems. It's actually the largest aquifer system in the United States. just happens to be that. Hmm? And Strong wanted it to... He wanted to remove the water. Being informed the American Water Development Corporation to exploit the water by pumping it out for commercial intent, but was stopped by the locals who feared it would destroy the delicate environment, or destroy their cattle systems and everything, and their farming. Here's the power of these, these crooks, eh? But don't forget, too, I think it was Rockefeller who actually owned that back of ranch. The, um, the, the McLean's Magazine in Canada and I've got, the, I've got the original magazine. I actually had a big article about Maurice Strong. And he, and he set up a big New Age movement there with all kinds of, of New Age religion types to try and get together, he said, and create a new culture for the world. He had all he had gurus from India, he had people, he had Buddhists, he had all kinds of, of New Agers there too. And you find, see, they create the New Agers to, for you to follow. They do. And you'll find they always go in the same direction. We've all got to be one. We've all got to be together in, in, this, in this world of ours. We must all agree with the same agendas, blah, blah, blah. Hmm? Well, they train these folks, folks. They always train your leaders, always. Just like Maurice Strong himself was trained for his position. But yeah, the McLean's Magazine had a, a good article on the Baca Grande development there. He said too that Maurice Strong had been uh, told by a mystic, had mystics, that's what it said, yeah, that the Baca would become the centre for a new planetary order which would evolve from the economic collapse and environmental catastrophes that would sweep the globe in the years to come. And you know something, you will get certain catastrophes because you won't be able to heat yourself or use air conditioning for those who are in really hot climates. And, and you won't get meat anymore unless you, you can really afford incredible prices, which puts most of the people out of the picture. And at the last meeting at the Paris climate change thing, again, massive articles compiled by think tanks, obviously, to eliminate your intake of meat. It really is fascinating to, to reminisce for me. It's all reminiscing for me because I, I studied Maurice Strong. I gave lots of talks on Maurice Strong. I can remember too when he went to Russia and they laid out the red carpet, lots and lots of it, for Mr. Maurice Strong to walk on as though he was royalty. I'd never seen that done before for anybody. 
they, they certainly knew who he was. By the way, was, I did articles on him too, because he had um, his, his aunt, who was, he belonged to a revolutionary family, intergenerational. And his aunt was, was an advisor to, I think it was Mao Zedong, the leader of, of communism in China. Her grave was next to his over there in China. And an article in one of the Canadian papers said that he was over there visiting the grave of his auntie. Then he set up there his home for a long time and still worked for the United Nations, working on uh, setting all their businesses up in, in, in China from the West, which we all paid for as they all got moved over there. Did you get to vote in the, in the office, folks? Of course you didn't. Most folk don't even know about it even today. So these are the, the real technocrats that are created and groomed, picked up young and groomed for the positions. And that's what a technocrat is. Now, also, Maurice Strong was busy founding the Earth Council Institute in 1992 and recruiting world luminaries such as Michael Gorbachev, Shimon Perez, Al Gore and David Rockefeller. In 2000, Earth Charter was formed as a further push by Strong to create a world government body or governing body. That's you call it governing, you see. <laughs> but it's government, of course. You don't need a place even for, for government. You can be scattered across the planet. Although eventually they will have one, for sure. I'm sure they will. They're the builders, remember. Builders. And in 2005, the most powerful man in the push to save humanity by steady promotion of the theory of human-induced greenhouse gases was caught with his hand in the tail. In the investigations of the United Nations Oil for Food Program found it strong and endorsed a check for $988,885 made out to M. Strong, issued by a Jordanian bank. The man who gave the check, South Korean businessman Tong Sung Park, was convicted in 2006 in a U.S. federal court of conspiring to bribe U.N. officials. Strong resigned and fled to Canada and thence to China, where he's been living ever since he's dead now. I can't think of a better way to put uh, a biography in the in the modern in the modern era of Maurice Strong than what he just did. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, there's a couple of things there to the end when he got into the connections between Maurice and Rockefeller and Gorbachev and Al Gore. And what you find here in this thread is a connection to global communism. And of course, you've got the fascism at the top. It's public-private. And the one thing that Maurice Strong, one of the ways in which he was involved in public-private was in privatizing Ontario Hydro. And, you know, it was supposed to be good for the people and keep your electricity costs down. But then it, it became privatized and the prices skyrocketed. And Alan used to give a famous quote, which I won't be able to recall off the top of my head, but basically Strong was saying that the keeping electricity costs so high would be a way of sustainability, you know, to push sustainability. You just make it so that people cannot afford to heat or cool themselves. And the other connection there too, real quick, is... 
that, well, you know, Gorbachev famously had the Green Party. He had he set up his headquarters after the, you know, so-called <laughs> end of communism. Yes, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in Russia, yeah, uh, in San Francisco. Yes. And he he's he's made repeated quotes about there needed to be a new religion, a form of earth worship, that of course the elite would not have that religion, but that that would be what the re- what that would be given to the people so that they would hold Mother Earth sacred. And that ties back to Hannah Strong, because, well, if you ever look at some of the things that came out of the Earth Summit in Rio, it was a crazy new age event. That woman, she organized it well, with, with Maurice, but they, you know, they had drummers, drum circles, native, you know, shaman types. It was, it was just a new age event, bringing in that religious aspect of it. And the interesting thing, if you look at the oil, this is one thing that people have a hard time wrapping their heads around. But here is Standard Oil, Rockefellers, starting up this guy that is going to, what, put an end to fossil fuels, right? I mean, that. so there's that going yeah, on. Right. You've got the same thing with Al Gore. Al yep. Gore is famously connected with his father back to Armand Hammer, Armand yep. Hammer's grandfather, I believe, was the one who brought communism. He, and he was the head of the U.S. Communist, Communist Party. Party. Yep. And, you know, so you've got that whole thing going on. And then Armand Hammer gave the Gores, senior and junior, this huge chunk of land in Tennessee that was, or Colorado, I, I actually can't remember now. I think it was Tennessee, though. This was a coveted piece of land by oil companies for decades, but quite right. They said, no, you can't, you know, oil companies can't have it. Congress would never let that happen. Well, who allowed that to go through to big oil? Al Gore. So out of one side of his mouth, he says, oh, big oil is slowing down sustainability and we're not getting net zero because of big oil. But he's been in big oil's pocket his whole political career. He has. Uh, it was Occidental yeah. Petroleum, I believe. It was the. Uh, was yes, the it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it, all the all the way back to uh, to the connections with Arm and Hammer, and then you had been recently talking about. Uh, I mean, you could mix all the NGOs and everything into this, but there's too much of a of a web to tie into that today. But that plays a big part in this as well because they're all. Uh, interconnected in with the United Nations. You brought up uh, a few weeks ago, uh, well, more than a few weeks ago, but we did a, a multi-part series on the foundational work that you did and how the socialists, the revolutionary socialists have reverse infiltrated all of those things. And then if you go and you read Shadow World by Robert Chandler, that is multiplied by, I don't know, a thousand, you know, and brought up to the, to the modern age as to what's been done. And it's got the connections in there as well to Arm and Hammer, the Gores, uh, Samuel Rubin, and then all into the uh, the Institute for Policy Studies and everything else. But that's another connection that can be made there. But I'll, now I want to play this clip of then Senator Al Gore <laughs> <laughs> on, on on CBS Nightly News. And the late, great Rush Limbaugh were on there having a, a debate about this. It's, it's as far back as, and this is, again, after he did his his stint there with uh, with Occidental, and then he went into the Senate again, uh, sponsored by Arm and Hammer. Yeah, brought in by Arm and Hammer, as his father mm-hmm. was uh, as well. Mm-hmm. But this is this is Gore in ninety. I, I want to say this is 91, 90, 91, somewhere along in there. We've got local environmental problems, regional problems like acid rain, 
Now we've got a whole new category of global or strategic problems, which include the hole in the ozone layer, which now could appear <laughs> above the United States, global climate change, <laughs> the destruction of the rainforest at a rate that means they'll be totally gone in another few decades unless we stop, the pollution of the oceans and the atmosphere and the like. These represent brand new challenges that call for a new kind of response. Rush, I've, I've listened to you many afternoons, as you know, uh, and you tend to, I don't want to say you dismiss all of these issues, but at least you dismiss them as having been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, absolutely. I don't think that there's anything conclusive about what Senator Gore said, with all due respect. I think, for example, there is no ozone hole over the United States. Uh, and if we want to get into a detailed discussion of ozone depletion, we can. But uh, I, I think, Ted, that there is not a crisis. See, this is the problem I have. I don't think the Earth is fragile. I don't think the ecology is fragilely balanced. And I think that the doomsday industry that is typified by members of the Hollywood acting community who say we've only got 10 years left to save our planet, we've got to act now. There's no way if what these people say is true that we can solve these problems in 10 years anyway. It's budget time in Washington, NASA's being cut, and I think that this this fright and, and uh, doom scenario is designed to frighten people. Everything in this country today seems to be a crisis. We can't do anything without it being have, uh, having to face it as a crisis. We don't have any time to think about it. Uh, there are as many scientists, uh, maybe even more, on the opposite side of all of these doomsday predictions. And, and I think that that's they need to be true. listened to. Yeah. Oh, yes, there are. That, that's not true. If I can right. jump in there, Ted, where the ozone hole is concerned, for example, the linkage between these chemicals, chlorofluorocarbons, and the ozone hole is established. There may be one one hundredth of one percent of the scientific community that disputes it. Now. Oh no, no, no! It's far more than that. Ted, that the environmental movement, as as fueled by the militants who lead it, uh, I think is the new home of socialism. The I ozone hole is threatening to open up above North America, above Kennebunkport, and still we're not reacting. Right. Well, uh, do you remember the ozone hole? I do remember that uh, uh, in, the, uh, in the early yeah. 90s, yeah, uh, late 80s, early yeah. 90s. I, I recall that. Uh, it turned out not to be the case. That was never the case. Uh, we've gone over that time and again. But going back to uh, it as early back as the late 90s and in, in, into the um, or the early, late 80s, early 90s, this guy was talking about climate change. But Limbaugh, to his credit, was was actually correct there when he said that they were talking then that we only had 10 years left to do something. There are saying exactly the same thing now in this climate movement mm -hmm. and this this um all these uh these militants it gives them a home for socialism as limbaugh pointed out that's what's being pushed now it, and it's interesting the characters who are behind it i mean you've even got king charles who's been yes. <laughs> parroting this tripe yes. you yep, know tripe. I, I, how many times have have we heard him say 18 months but you know before we are totally destroyed I mean, that w w the first time yeah. he said that was, what, 15 uh, years ago? It's, it's just like ludicrous. Yeah. The, uh, I want to say it was like the Daily Mail or something like that. One, one British publication, they did something where they showed that they've taken all of these predictions that have been made by these Hollywood people, that, you know, the, the crazy loons in Hollywood, and the politicians and the international bodies and these royalties, uh, royals and everything else. And they've all made these predictions about climate since the late 1970s. And they were zero for 43, I think. 
out of all of mm-hmm. their predictions. They've never mm-hmm. been right about anything. And now all of a sudden they're, they're supposed to be right about something. So no, this is an agenda that is to control your life. This is everything. This is the whole ball of wax, if you will. This is what they're going to use to grab control of it all. What is sobering is that they're never right, but they have they have an agenda. They're sticking with it. And we are being pushed into this no matter what. Gasoline cars off the highway. Uh, we'll we'd be on a credit system. There, we'll be eating crickets and no meat. I mean, it is an emperor's new clothes, but it matters not because we're we're headed there. That's we are. Yeah, they are. They are moving us there at uh, at light speed. Now, I want to get into the uh, the Bill Gates aspect. You see, dear old Bill there. He is. Uh, mm-hmm. You see, he's sitting there with his friend Xi Jinping, um, and it, you were correct about Anna Strong being the the uh, the aunt there. You were correct about that. I was incorrect. I said his wife, and no, you were right. She is buried well, next to Mao. It's a- Anna, Anna the cousin, and Hannah the wife. So it's an okay, easy. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Granted, but. Yeah. I saw there on that uh, that blurb that we were playing. I saw there that they they whoever uh, produced that they they put that clip up there of the actual tombstone of the aunt there, and it said "friend of China, friend of the people uh-huh. of China." That's what yeah. Xi calls Bill Gates, his friend. He's a friend of China. I- I'll just say really quickly, I couldn't get a super close look at it, but I think that's an Astral Walker 1 video. Astral okay. Walker 1. And he, yeah, there was a clip yeah, in the corner. It, yeah, he's done some really excellent uh, visualizations of Alan's talks over the years. So, Well, if you don't have that clip, right. I'm happy to send it to you uh, when we when we. Write <laughs> I don't. Clip. Thanks. I'll yeah, I, I don't have it. Okay. Uh, but anyhow, so on to the Bill Gates thing. And as you can see here, I'm not going to play the audio because half of it is in uh, is in Mandarin. But uh, this was Bill and his recent trip to, you know, visit. This was all over Chinese state media. But as you can see here, you've got Bill Gates, who, like Maurice Strong, when he was taking trips to China and to the Soviet Union, you heard Alan say they rolled out like miles of red carpet for this guy. And that's what mm-hmm. they do when Bill goes there. When Gates goes there, he, he gets the royal treatment like he's royalty. And all of these programs and everything that he's involved with in China, he's now invested, and that was the purpose of this trip that he's on here, he's invested countless millions into different health initiatives and vaccine initiatives and research initiatives in different Chinese bio companies. Uh, And I'm sure that he's, with his company, Terra Power, I'm sure he's involved in energy production over there as well. But this is the point where Xi is telling him or telling everybody that he's he's happy that his dear friend is there to visit, (laughs) you see? So again... I believe that Bill Gates has taken over for strong in the aspects of China. Now, that explains the Chinese connection, all right? Now, at least part of Mm -hmm. it. Now, his U.S. connection, he's got a lot of U.S. business ventures, right? There's so many business ventures that you you, you just can't even name all of them. But one of the biggest things that he's invested in in the United States is farmland, right? Mm -hmm. We've been talking about farmland. And what was Strong invested in? Oh, by God, it was farmland. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're going to eat less meat. Right. That just so happens the World Economic Forum is pushing that. And well, for goodness sake, Bill Gates is pushing that, too. And he just so happens to have a whole bunch of farmland. In fact, he is the single largest owner 
private owner of farmland in the United States today outside of the communist Chinese. That right there should be a national security issue. A foreign country coming in buying our arable farmland, that should not be allowed. But that's a different podcast for a different day. Mm -hmm. Melissa, up here on screen, you can clearly see this is the land that is owned by Bill Gates per state. Okay, so in total, now this this number has actually gone up because he just got a whole bunch of farmland up in, I believe, North Dakota. Now, I will explain what all of this is about. I don't think this has anything to do with farmland, but you'll see why here in a minute. 268,984 total acres of uh, of actual arable farmland, 242,000 acres of ground that you can actually plant on, right? So mm-hmm. as you can see, Washington, 16,097 acres. Idaho, 9,200 acres. California, 4,500 acres. Wyoming, 975. Colorado, 2,270. Arizona, 25,750. New Mexico, one acre. We couldn't figure that one out, but I'll explain in a second. (laughs) Makes no sense, right? Nebraska, Nebraska, 20,588. There's a reason for that one. I'll explain in a second. Goes with the one acre in New Mexico. Iowa, 522 acres. Wisconsin, 1,188 acres. Michigan, 2,100 acres. Ohio, 8,900 acres. Illinois, 17,900 acres. Indiana, 9,100. Arkansas, 47,000. Louisiana, 69,000. Mississippi, 17,000. North Carolina, 874. And Florida, 14,828. <laughs> that is a lot of farmland in a lot of the United States, wouldn't you say? That's a lot of farmland. Yeah. And it's interesting how he doesn't grow anything on any of those. He doesn't He doesn't grow any of this you know, GMO stuff and these these fungus things that he wants to grow. He doesn't he doesn't do any of that. Well, what does he have all that land for? Well, if you toddle on over to the USGS, so the US Geological Survey website, if you go to their .gov, so USGS.gov, and you pull up a map of the aquifers <laughs> that are in the United oh, States. Oh, no. Oh, oh Johnny, yes. this is, well, first of all, oh, this yes. is great work, and but it's terrifying. That's, it is oh. absolutely terrifying. If I was at, wondering <laughs> why there was no. Well, I was wondering why he had no farmland at all in Texas, but the fact that he's after water explains it all. <laughs> yes, he is after all, not some, but all of the freshwater aquifers across the United States. Marie Strong was just after one. <laughs> Bill Gates is after uh. all of them. So. Again, I I make the argument that uh, that Bill Gates is again taking over for Marie Strong. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this is this is unbelievable, uh, and not to mention the fact Bill's also involved in a lot of these um, fake meat companies, you know that kind of stuff. But let's get into uh, let me see, Marie Strong. He he was all about the climate taxes, right? He he was the one that introduced the carbon tax, right? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. him and Al Gore actually. Al Gore actually, Al Gore runs one of the carbon exchanges through his his partner, Mr. Blood, Blood and Gore. Yeah, the, the carbon yeah. you couldn't make that up. You really no, couldn't I make know. that. <laughs> but Bill Gates talking about climate, or excuse me, well, basically that's climate taxes, uh, carbon taxes more or less, and how BlackRock ties into this. BlackRock and Larry in particular are a great example of private sector leadership. You know, anyone who says that climate shouldn't be a factor in how you evaluate the future of a company, you know, isn't, uh, that's not capitalism because oh, really? <laughs> companies that have emissions, you know, they are going to be subject to uh, border adjustment tariffs or taxes. Uh, you also have to think about companies, you know, if you're 
dealing with uh, severe weather events. That's got to be factored in. Is the company ensuring that? Are they becoming more resilient? So the attacks are kind of illogical because climate does affect the economy, which does affect investments. The idea that we still need oil and natural gas is also, you know, fairly clear. We're not going to drain all the money away from those sectors. That's how people get to work today. It's how people avoid freezing to death in the winter. Uh, and, you know, people did get a little optimistic about how quickly the transition could be done. Now, without uh, the Russian natural gas being available in Europe, uh, you know, we're it's a setback. You know, we need to find non-Russian hydrocarbon sources to substitute for those. So there's coal plants running and a uh, variety of things uh, because, you know, keeping... You know, people warm, uh, keeping those economies in decent shape uh, is a priority. Now, on the other hand, it's good for the long run because uh, people won't want to be dependent on Russian natural gas. Uh, so they'll move to these new approaches more rapidly. Because Bill cares so much about people, whether or not they can heat or cool themselves. You know, he, he cares so much about that. Um, and I, I think, honestly, I think they were moving too fast in the uh, the <clears throat> renewable energy sector that people were starting to get wise to it and there were starting to be pushbacks from it. So they had to slow it down a little bit. So that's why he's talking out of both sides of his mouth there saying that we still need those things. As a matter of fact, today, Volkswagen, which is one of Germany's largest auto manufacturers, Volkswagen today announced that they are ceasing production of electric cars because no one wants to buy them. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, this is this is one of the pushes that we're going to have to take for the, um, uh, the sustainable development stuff. Well, is there really a demand for these clean products? And it just so happens, well, yeah, there's going to be a lot of startups, but there's going to be a lot of failures. Gee, I wonder which ones are going to succeed. Is it going to be the companies that Bill himself is invested in and all the others are going to fail? Let's see. And who are we really going to make it from a fossil-based uh, uh, fuel society into a renewable society? Where do you see the new real breakthroughs? What And, and how are we going to make sure that uh, we set the price uh, on uh, the externalities? How do we internalize the externalities that uh, we are currently um, uh, seeing uh, in, in the global energy mix? Well, the rich countries uh, have to play a central role, both funding R&D and uh, having policies, in some cases, uh, carbon taxes will be used uh, to drive the demand uh, for these clean products. And only by doing that in an aggressive way will the economic costs uh, be brought down enough that we can turn to all the middle-income countries uh, and say, okay, you know, change your whole cement uh, industry, change your whole steel industry, uh, and yet, you know, it's not holding you back uh, from, uh, you know, your uh, economic growth. Uh, the number of companies working on these things is very exciting. Um, and some of them will fail. A lot of them will fail. Uh, but, you know, we only need uh, a, a reasonable number, a few dozen of them, uh, to make it through. And that's what we have to accelerate. They only need a few dozen of them to make it through. Again, are those going to be the companies that he is invested in? I would imagine so. Mm -hmm. Just like the, the fake meat companies. But I've talked enough. I'll let you. I'll let you jump in there. Go ahead. Well, there's a couple of things. I, I was just looking into 
Elon Musk's business models and uh, tax credits on the, that he receives and loans that he gets from the government and so forth. And I one of the interesting things that I found out actually from Car and Driver magazine was it they did a good job of explaining succinctly how companies participate in this con because it is a con or a kind of a shell game. And so companies are paying Tesla multi-million dollars so that they can get counted in with the Tesla fleet of cars because they're not producing EV cars at all or they're not producing enough EV cars in order to qualify for their rebate. So basically, you you could almost look at it like a kind of sanctioned bribe. We give Tesla millions and millions of dollars. I mean, the number that I saw in that article was one quarter of 2020. And that number was nearly 440 million for one quarter one company got just by selling credits to foreign companies. And that's just one player that this kind of weird carbon credit shell game that that Gore essentially started, Gore and Strong, this is being played by companies all over the world. They're they're pirates, as Alan said, and they're raking they in really millions in <laughs> they really booty. are mm-hmm. <laughs> pirates. Yeah. They really yeah. are pirates. Um it's interesting because I was actually reading a little bit a couple of days ago and that Piracy was actually one of the words that were used. Was actually that I was reading something well, entirely different, and that's yeah. that's what it is. That that is what it is. And 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 the other thing that struck me when you played that clip, this I've thought about before, but Bill Gates is an idiot. He's yes, he is. <laughs> uh, he's not. He's not even an idiot savant. He is a true idiot, and he's a pervert. And you know, with his little sex games and, you know, I, I mean, he's it's scandalous. At least Maurice Strong could string together words into sentences, into thoughts. He sounded like he was intelligent and could run a business. Bill Gates is just, he sounds like a moron. And he's obviously not the pirate in charge. He is, as Alan said in that clip that you played, he's a front man. He's the, he's, He's been picked by that cabal to be the front man, both that we, you know, depending on how you look at him, you either think he's the savior that's delivered what you need when you need it, or you think he's the evil villain that you want to, you know, kill or throw rotten tomatoes at or whatever. It's, he cannot, he doesn't have the brain cells to run the companies that we're told that he runs. He, he really doesn't. No, you're absolutely I know right. that com- communication is probably a separate skill from programming a computer and so forth. But come on. I mean, you're, you're looking at somebody that I had this image when he and Melinda were still together at the beginning of 2020. And they would come out and say this and there'd be all of these, you know, he's he's got the syringe, the evil man with the syringe in his hand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had this visual image of them in their mansion. And they, they're trotted out to do all their PR events. And then at the end of the night, the limo driver drops them off. And then whoever, the butler, greets them and then hangs them up like on the wall, like hooks, hangs them up like dolls. And then they just shut down little battery operated evil dolls. And then the next day they're fired up and they go out and they do their round of. Th- I, I, I don't like the man. 
at all. But I honestly don't think he's in charge of what's going on right now. You're right, though. I think you've made a good point that he's taken over Maurice Strong's role for sure. Yeah, I I certainly think he has. Um, I wanted to get to this point that I was reading in this book last night about uh, learned professionals. I'd never actually heard this term before in in quotes, learned professionals. This is Mm -hmm. the expert class that Alan was talking about in that clip. Now, Mm -hmm. you heard him talk about how when Strong would go to the Soviet Union, he would have the red carpet rolled out for him. When right. Bill Gates goes to China, he has the red carpet rolled out for him. Mm-hmm. And I referenced the notation that Anatoly Galitsyn made in New Lives for Old in 1984 about how they were going to alter, as in through their intelligence services, they were going to alter our way of thinking and how we perceive things in our scientific departments. Enter the expert class, right? This book that I'm referencing is called Why the Soviets Violate Arms Control Treaties. Now, this has nothing to do with arms control, but it's about deception. Never judge a book mm-hmm. by its cover. This is about mm-hmm. their active measures, more or less. This is about their their deceiving tactics, right? Listen to this. Galitsyn wrote about the following. Anatoly Galitsyn wrote about the following, warning about this specific activity of, quote, learned professionals or what we refer to now as the expert class. When Alexander Schleppen, who was in charge of the KGB, when he took charge of the KGB, it was with the intent to reorganize the KGB and turn it into a more activist instrument of Soviet policy. One of the changes was to adopt an activist approach towards Western scientists. Under this scheme, the Soviets would use various recruitment schemes, deception and disinformation to influence Western scientists and world opinion in directions required by Soviet long range policy and the expectation that these scientists would then bring pressure to bear on Western governments. Governments. A special KGB-controlled section was created within the Academy of Sciences. Special institutes were formed to widen the opportunity for Soviet scientists to develop contacts with American scientists and influence them towards the objectives of Soviet policy. Thousands of KGB agents were recruited from among Soviet scientists and trained for assignments abroad, for international conferences, i.e. Earth Summit, United Nations, and for meetings with foreign scientists in the Soviet Union. Most Soviet scientists participated in a lot of these meetings from 1958 onward and were KGB agents. Yuri Bezmenov estimates that at least 50% of the scientists, quote, scientists and learned professionals were agents of the KGB. So you see the influencing drive behind it. I'm not saying they're the only ones behind it, but I'm saying that they had a very heavy hand in all of it. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the connections that you have between Strong and Gates in these communist societies and Mm -hmm. how this is being used, climate change is being used it's all being driven towards the same thing. That, I believe, is what the driving force is behind it. Well, I, th- I do think that we're looking at something, you know, that Alan would refer to as capicami fasci or, you know, it's you've got at a one level the perceived conflict between capitalism and communism and then above that, you have got fascism and you public private and a type of people or a class of people who are fascist in their thinking. That is true. If you look at the way that China is structured, it's exactly what you just described. It's like it's a, a corporate fascism on top and then it's communism all the way down at the grassroots. Mm-hmm. So for people to call what China has as a uh, it, it's not a it's not a true capitalist society and it's not a true communist society. It's a it's mm-hmm. a mixed capitalist communist society. And they honestly, they, they make it work. But the only reason they make it work is because of 
what they did with Marie Strong to move all of our businesses and our manufacturing over there. <laughs> That's the only yeah. way they can make it work. Which which actually really started, you know, before that, it started with Bertrand Russell was a key player in that whole move there. Yes. But you have the same you have the same thing in the Soviet Union with their I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, but their Dachau's, their Dachas, Dachau's, Dachas, their weekend Dachas, their weekend houses. You've got the whole class at the top with their total control of everything. And they've got all of the caviar and champagne and, you know, the weekend homes. And then down below, you've got the communist ideal, which is one company makes all the shoes and one company makes all the cars. And the average person is on a wait list for a car for 10 years. This is how that works. No, you're absolutely right. And by the way, in East Germany, it was 20 years. So when the child really? was born, uh, yes, when the child was born, you had to register to get the car so they could have the car by the time they were an adult. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, of course, East Germany, you know, under Soviet occupation. But this has many different facets. And one of which is it, it's not just this, right? Th this is, you know, the climate change thing. It's not just this. But they also infiltrated the criminal world as well. I can do probably two or three other podcasts on all of that and all the research that I've dug into. But one of the books that explains a lot of this was Red Mafia. You suggested this book to me uh, by Robert Friedman. And this book was suggested to you by Alan to uh, to read. And you said that he was quite fond of this book and what was in it. Yes. Yes, he was. Actually, uh, we read it together. So we, we came upon it at the same time. And I rem and th there's an interesting thing. If you look into the author, Alan just made an off the cuff remark about his death. It's not something that you can prove. But when you look at the, the writer's body of work, he had to have been ruffling feathers. And Alan just said something like, that's just the kind of guy they want to get rid of. And, you know, he died quite young and not very long after that book was published. Hmm. And, well, you know, he was a, he was a dog with a bone with his research, but it is a really good book. It's yes. what it what it is just really quickly for listeners is that it explains the influx into the United States of people from the former Soviet Union, the criminal class and the criminal enterprises that they began primarily on the eastern seaboard from New York, New Jersey, down to Florida, but really all across the U.S. But that that was an area of concentration there. And it's mind boggling the criminal enterprises that they got up to and that they are still involved in. The reason I make this this um, this connection here to the mob, right, to, to the mafia, to, to organized crime is because you heard in the in the clip there, they were talking about how these are basically these are criminals at the top, right? Marie mm -hmm. Strong and these guys, these, these guys are criminals. Well, they're taking over the criminal class at the top and they're taking over the criminal class at the bottom. Now, to go along with this, to give you an idea, uh, again, I'm going to mention another book here. And I've mentioned this book to you, and I think I sent you a copy of this, at least digitally. This is a copy of Red Cocaine. And this is exactly how it goes with Red Mafia, right? So if you've got the way that they infiltrated the uh, the Sicilian Mafia, this is what they did to take over the international drug trade through Central and South America. And I was going over some of uh, what was in this book, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody because this is a fantastic read. Now, to give you an idea, just to kind of throw out a little number here, 
what we were able to run down in this book and what Bruce and I were able to track down that we can actually prove and it's actually entered into the congressional record, if you can believe it, by the late 1990s, just from drug sales. You want to know why your streets are flooded with heroin, right? It's because of what's in this book and what's in the next book that I'm about to mention. You want to know why there's an opioid crisis in America and in other parts? This is why. But back to what I was saying, the amount of money that we're talking about here that was laundered and run through Swiss banks, and we know this from a defector from the Swiss banking system who managed 10 branches down there, was in the neighborhood in the late 90s, if you can imagine what it would be today, in the late 90s of over 100 trillion US dollars that was being held by the organized crime groups out of the Far East. That includes Russia and China, China being a close second. Now, if you can imagine, now we, we talk all day about BlackRock holding 10 trillion in assets. What's 10 trillion in assets when you've got other guys like that, right? The other book that I'm going to mention, this was a very difficult one for me to get my hands on along with Red Cocaine. That's a hard one to find, but you can get copies of that digitally. All these books that I've mentioned, all of these are available digitally if you don't want to spend the uh, the money on them. They are they are available. You can go to archive.org and get them, including this one. This book is called Psychochemical Warfare. It is how the Chinese communist drug offensive took place against the West. 49 when Mao came in, he said the imperialist countries, i.e. the West, used opium against us, so we are going to use it as tools of revolution against them. So again, mm -hmm. you know, this is um th this all kind of works together, you know, I'm I'm talking about organized crime and, and we're talking about climate change and or climate change initiatives and how that was all fomented and how they've brought all that on us. And you can connect the organized crime and the drug trade in with it, as well as the mob connection. So with all of these, I mean, to say that we uh, we don't have a line of research here, I think would be uh, highly inaccurate because uh, all of these things that have gone together and Again, I, I maintain, right, getting back to the, the Gates and the Strong thing, I maintain that Bill Gates is the new Maurice Strong. Yeah, I, I, there, there's definitely, I mean, my calling him a moron doesn't mean that he is not playing a significant role. He really well, is. I, can we stick with that? Because I believe that he is. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing business with with that type, then um, yeah, sorry, you're a, you're a moron. And have you ever but seen him I, off camera? Have you ever seen uh, him off camera? No. He's not, not right. Well, he is not yeah. right. Yeah. I've seen a little footage of him at parties and stuff. It, yeah, there, there's something, you're right, something wrong with him. But I, I, I think the important thing is, I, I think pirates is a good definition for them. At the top, across all countries, there is a pirate class. The, what we sometimes call the elite or the ruling class, they're gangsters, they're mobsters, they're pirates, whatever. They're, they're very crooked some people call them evil. They're not good guys. And they use all kinds of things, including sustainability and climate change in order to control and terrify. Indeed, they do. Well, it's been a great conversation. I'm sorry. I, I had all this lined up today and I was <laughs> I had everything all booked up by uh, by 2.30 this afternoon. And I've, I started getting excited about, it. you know, how you have everything lined up and you're just you're yeah. getting into that that, oh boy, this is really going to be a good one today. And and I thought that around 2.30, and that's that's kind of what pushed me the rest of the uh, the day here. But uh, it's been a great conversation. Well, I think it has been a great conversation, and, and possibly, I mean, you may have something else in mind for two weeks from now, but we might want to get a little bit more into the the lower-level criminal aspect of it, the oh, red cocaine, red mafia. happy to do yeah. that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to do that. I will, um, as a matter of fact, I will 
I will go back and I will start. I've already read that book, but I will read it again. And I, I really want to get into um, I've only read part of it. I want to get into the rest of Psychochemical Warfare, too. Uh, okay. what the Chinese well, I know do. you sent me Red Cocaine, but I haven't read it yet. So I will. OK. All right. That sounds good, uh, because that is that that brings in the Kissinger aspect of it all and how he was tied ah. in with that, too. So, ah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, indeed. All right. Oh, by the way, Seymour Hersh is quite prominent in that book, too. You know, the guy that made oh, himself good, famous yeah. for the MK Ultra program. Uh, yes, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so we will see you in two weeks and hopefully Great. we'll be talking about that. So, uh, again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they maintain of the life collected works of the late great Alan Watt. If you want to hear more clips like what we played earlier, then they have just about all of them. Uh, also, her podcast is Real History with Melissa. That is a available everywhere you get your podcasts. Melissa, it's been a great conversation. I will see you in two weeks. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great evening.